You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Boston loose baseball back ahead of the trade deadline. Is Juan Soto going to get traded? Why is the deadline off to such a slow start? And if Soto is traded, what might the Nats get back? We'll talk to J.J. Cooper of Baseball America about the proposed packages of prospects from a bunch of different teams on this episode. Should be a lot of fun. Deep dive into some players and names you hear a lot about in these rumors. Let's get it started. Boston loose baseball right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, producer Darius Dameron. We are closing in on the Tuesday trade deadline, Danny. It is Thursday as we record, so that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Five days away. What's your prediction right now? Does Soto get traded or does he stay? I still, up until maybe um, last night, I would say, I still felt like it was more that they wouldn't be able to get a deal in place or that the ownership group, as it currently stands, would say, ah, we just don't, we can't do it. We can't be the ones that traded away Juan Soto, a la Bryce Harper a handful of years ago. Enough people have said there's enough momentum for this. Enough people have said and kind of opened my eyes to the possibility of, you're already the villain, quote unquote, here. If you're the learners, and I don't mean in a, in a you know Marvel movie villain kind of way, they're not doing a Thanos snap, but you're already kind of on your way out, right? Your legacy is the World Series. Your legacy is this revitalized part of town that used to basically just be a giant salt pile and a and a, and a place for uh, the Navy Yard and kind of an exit to go somewhere else. Now it's a you know vibrant destination with condo buildings everywhere. The learners, that's their legacy here, right? It's to bring that World Championship, seven eight years of excellence. And, you know, a, a, a franchise that this you know city can be proud of. That doesn't necessarily change over time if you're the ones that traded away Juan Soto. The new ownership group doesn't want to be the bad guy here in this case, wh- whoever they happen to be. I'm now leaning towards Juan Soto being on the move before Tuesday. And I didn't think I would get there, but I am. I, I was, th- I, you know, listen, if we work back from the, they're not going to resign him. They can't. Any offer I've always kind of felt that Scott Boris would receive would be, thank you very much for the offer. We're going to the open market. We're going to reset this entire thing. I've always felt like they couldn't sign him. If you work back from that, we've kind of gone over the practical permutations of, of what makes the most sense. I now think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to happen sometime over the weekend. I really do. I, th- I think now we're having rubber meet the road here. So it's interesting you say that because 
<clears throat> I have all along said the chances that he doesn't get traded are, are greater than 50%. I just think, f- frankly, it's kind of fantasy baseball right? I mean, players like Juan Soto don't get dealt. And I'm almost resting on precedent to say, yeah, it probably doesn't happen. The amount of stars that have to align, the amount of players a team has to be willing to give up, the, the package they have to put together, it's just unlikely as much as clubs and executives covet prospects now. And on top of all those things, I mean, you need Rizzo to find the right deal and then the learners to, to want to, to pull the trigger and the new owner, whoever that's going to be, probably somehow involved or at least the prospective owners being talked to about this. Everyone's got to be on the same page and it's all got to happen by this deadline. It just seems like a lot to make happen, right? Here is what I know, though. The people that are smarter than me, that do this for a living, either by way of being in baseball working with teams or being in baseball working at agencies or in the media, you know, even on the show. You guys heard our interview with Jim Bowden in this feed. Uh, We had Tom Verducci of SI and, and MLB Network on our DC show on Thursday day as well. They all think he's getting traded at this point. Now, that's not a great reason for me to say it's going to happen, but it it means something. I mean, my reason for saying all along that it wasn't going to happen, Danny, is essentially it's just hard to believe that it would, right? I mean, that's that's not a great reason. It's just, yeah, just stuff like that doesn't really happen. It it is. It's very rare. And and this is obviously we're doing a baseball podcast here, but years now seems forever ago. But you and I had a discussion on a regular show, Grant and Daniel, 106.7 The Fan, and your point was, hey, I'm reading the tea leaves here. I think Tom Brady's going to leave New England. I'm like, no, he's not. He can't leave New England. That's Tom Brady in New England. They go to the AFC title game every year. Half of the AFC title games, more than half, 65% of the AFC championship games in in the last 20 years feature Tom Brady and the Patriots. He's always going to be a Patriot until he wasn't, right? It didn't make any sense that it would happen until it happened. So your point I know it's not, you know, I don't know that the judge would slam the gavel and dismiss the case after you make that compelling Perry Mason-style legal argument, but it makes perfect sense to me. It's totally salient because this doesn't happen until it does, if it does. Yeah, and I guess now I will be somewhat surprised maybe if it doesn't happen just because it will mean that a lot of people who are really plugged in and really smart were wrong, and and a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing from folks in baseball— Uh, ends up not coming to fruition. But I I will say this. While I want them to find a deal where they get a ton back, and I will be somewhat disappointed at this point, as much as I love Soto, and I like him more, I said this on a recent podcast, than I have any player since I was a kid. I I will forever cherish. I got a Juan Soto autograph ball in the sweet spot that I bought. I've got, you know, I'll, I'll be searching for Soto merchandise for years to hang in the basement whether he's with the Nats or not. One of my favorite players ever in any sport. I think that their path to being good again in the next couple years is a lot better if they move him and get a ton back. I mean, there's just there's a, a lot of things you could argue against just paying Soto and having him as your superstar, even though this is Babe Ruth, this is Ted Williams. Like, look, if the floor is he's here for the next 15 years because you're able to somehow sign him, that's incredible, and I want that. I mean, I'll touch that button right now. I just don't think that's realistic. I think he's leaving in two and a half years as it is. I think Boris is taking him to market, and you either trade him now for a ton of stuff or you trade him in the future for a lot less stuff. That, to me, is kind of how I'm approaching this. It, it, it's a lot like Trey Turner last year. Did I want to package him into a deal with a year and a half left to go to the Dodgers? Heck no, I didn't want to do that. But the ship had sailed, and he wasn't resigning, and they weren't close. And so 
Everyone wants to yell and have this argument and discussion about, well, should they be paying him? And what about if they just did it this way? I'm just dealing with what is. I'm just dealing with reality. And the reality, I believe, having talked to people involved in this situation, is that this is not a contract that is doable with the agent and the player right now. And if that's the case, then you got to get as much back for him as possible. And, and I'm excited about the possibility for a terrible system without a lot of big league talent right now that's young to have maybe five or six guys come back. And if three or four of them are really good big leaguers for this team for years to come with Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz, where they got at last year's deadline, now you're two or three free agent moves by a rich owner away when they come in here from being back in that 90-win mix. Like, I see a path. I see some light at the end of the tunnel if they get what I think they can get for Juan Soto. So, at a 30,000-foot view for a, for a fan here who's not going to delve too deeply into something, they'll just go, this is another guy they just let go. Right? They'll go, you you let Bryce Harper walk away, you let Rendon walk away, you got rid of Turner, and now you're getting rid of Soto. Oh, it's the same. Well, there was a nugget in... A Jesse Doherty story, uh, where I think he caught up with Trey Turner at the All-Star game, where the last offer, again, from the story, that Trey Turner received was for six years and $100 million as an extension. Shortly before, Francisco Lindor signed a $341 million extension. And it's the opinion of a lot of folks that as soon as the Nats saw what Lindor signed for, they realized, we can't keep Trey Turner. And they, they didn't up their offer. They didn't try to come close. They didn't try to match it. They knew it was over, and, and there wasn't a lot of communication with Trey Turner sort of thereafter. And, you know, in retrospect, Turner was sort of was like, yeah, I guess now I see that that's, that's kind of what happened. This is not that. This is not Anthony Rendon after winning a World Series going, hey, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to be paid. I'd like to, I'm, I'm, otherwise I'll go to free agency. And the learners offering him up something with a ton of deferred money, the way their kind of normal playbook and him scoffing at it and going out in free agency. This is not, you know, uh, the, the exact same as the Bryce Harper negotiation where you had somebody that was on deck here. This is a pretty significant offer. This is not their usual deferred money thing. This is not a, you know, uh, kind of a, a bit of an accounting trick. This was a major offer that they made to Juan Soto of a, a decade and a half. You'll be here for multiple managers, probably multiple general managers. You'll see you know, changes to everything in the organization a couple times over. You are the centerpiece, period, end of story for an all, for more money than anybody's ever made in the history of this game. If I was Juan Soto, as I've said a million times already on this podcast, I would have turned that down. I would not have taken that. I would not have had myself be, uh, you know, 20th or so all-time in annual average value in terms of a contract. But this is not the exact same playbook that the Nationals have run previously. Right, I mean, just these other times where you would keep somebody because you're in contention, you, you you keep Bryce Harper potential through the end of the 2018 season because you hope that you'd make a comeback. You you kept uh, Anthony Rendon on the 2019 team because you had a chance to win the World Series and, and so on and so forth. This team doesn't have a chance to win diddly or squadouche. So we're trying to find a way to get back to that competitive window that they just finished enjoying where they were as good as all but maybe a team or two in Major League Baseball. To your point, the best path to do that is to trade him. It is. Because without it, you need to have a, an unbelievable, extraordinary shooting percentage of guys that you've already drafted somehow improve their stock. Guys that you just drafted to be developed in a hey, way you that you— need Elijah Green to be awesome. You need Brady House yeah. to be great. You need Cade Cavalli to stay healthy and be a number two. You need Cole Henry to, to be healthy and be a number two. You need Josiah Gray to, to add a third pitch and get even better. You need Ruiz to, to be what he has been except for hit for more power and a little more average. Like— 
a lot of things have to go good. To, and the new owner has to come in here, be rich, want to spend, and and go get you an Aaron Judge and type player. All of those things have to happen, and they have not happened for basically a decade here. Right? There's the this is a graveyard of Carter Keybooms and Victor Robleses and 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 you know again the best it's been in terms of a draft pick highly touted that's supposed to be a difference maker at the major league level has been Eric Fetty. That's what's happened. Now, against a lot of the, some of the guys that would be helpful here, not necessarily frontline players, but help filling out the roster with major league caliber talent, have been traded to keep the window open. I'm very aware of that. But it's still not an excuse for how it's been over the last decade. So you could rely on a process that has not yielded good results for 10 years to all of a sudden start doing that or cheat. And I don't, I don't mean you know anything nefarious. I mean, you cut the line when you traded Steven Souza for Trey Turner. You cut the line when you create when you traded uh, Matt Caps for Wilson Ramos, right? Instead of drafting a catcher, grooming him in the minor leagues, hoping that he steps up and is okay, you you poach somebody else's best prospect for a a, a reclamation closer rental in Matt Caps. They've done that. This is that on steroids, rocket ship to the moon style. It stinks. Because of who we've already lost. It stinks because they've been dreadful for three years. If this was a 90-win team, you'd feel differently about it. Or if there was an, an easy path to that, this is their best bullet here to try to find a way to start a new run of being really, really good again. And as painful as it is, I happen to now think it's the right thing to do. He's Danny. I'm Grant. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. We give you at least two episodes every single week. We dive into the minors and prospects and cover the team at the big league level. And right now, really, the big story, the only thing that matters is the future of Juan Soto. So prediction time, percentage chance out of 100 that Juan Soto is traded at the deadline. I'm going to say for the first time, I've always said, at first, I was 70%. This was a couple months ago that he doesn't get traded. Then I was 60% about a week ago. Then I was 55% this past couple of days. Right now, I'm going to say there is a 53% chance that Juan Soto is traded at the deadline. 51-49. I just finally tilted that way. I was probably like you. I think it was like 80-20, maybe 70-30, whatever, just to, just to be slightly different, I guess. Um, about him staying. I just didn't think they'd be able to, A, have a team thread the needle to get an offer together. B, have uh, ownership sign off on it. The logistics of being able to do that just seemed impossible to me. Now I'm starting to have confidence based on kind of the buzz, a number of people that you know have kind of said this, that are really, really close to this thing. It seems like it's inevitable, and especially given Mike Rizzo's comments on the junkies, the, how forthright he was, it, it made me seem like this is now absolutely on the menu. So you mentioned the Junkies. Uh, they're a morning show. Everyone knows them, obviously. But in case you randomly listen to our Nats pod from somewhere else in the country and you just stumbled into us, on 106.7 The Fan, Legends in the D.C. Market, and they have Mike Rizzo, president of the Nats, on their show each and every Wednesday. And uh, he was asked a bunch of questions. They did a really good interview with him. But there was one particular thing he said that I found amazing. In fact, Darius, are we able to play the clip, do you think? Can you insert the clip into BLB? Absolutely. All right, good. So let's do that by way of radio magic. Darius is going to insert this clip. You'll hear it right now. We're not going to dilute a, a, a return for any player by uh, by adding a bad contract. That's not where we're at in our organization uh, at, uh, at this time. We want to get the most for uh, for each and every trade that we do. So we certainly are not going to uh, uh, tack on a any anybody's contract to uh, to any anybody's deal, including Juan Soto's or Josh Bell's or anybody's. I mean, he could not have been more candid in saying they're not going to attach the Patrick Corbin contract, and 
any contract for that matter that's a bad contract, including Steven Strasburg, which is untradeable anyway. But really, that's about Corbin. That has been long speculated. I've talked to people all over baseball who said they're going to try to do that. In fact, I talked to someone with the Nats who made it seem to me like it was something that they had considered or, or might prefer to do. But apparently Mike Rizzo does not agree with that person, and he's the decision maker. I guess he could just be saying things. He could just be talking to talk. But when you go as hard as you just heard him go and as adamant as he was on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. that they're not going to attach a contract because they don't want to dilute the package, that's a big, big deal. And I loved hearing that for the record because I want as many prospects and good young big leaguers back as possible. This has to be about getting talent back, not getting out of your own mistakes. And also, the Cor- well, we can get into what Corbin's contract could be in the next couple of years, but... To me, that was music to my ears. I I do not want to trade Patrick Corbin's deal to just open up the book for the new owner. I want all the young players back. It would make a little bit more sense to me to to include Corbin if you were a move or two away, right? If you were a contending team that that needed to add a little bit of payroll or do some creative accounting or, or whatever, you know, just needed one piece. That's not the case here. They need major leaguers. They need... Minor leaguers, they need everything in between. They need a, a few guys to round out the double-A roster, triple-A roster, you know, young big leaguers right now this minute. They need frontline players that are going to be up in the majors, helpful over the next handful of years. Anything that you do that dilutes that, to me, is not good policy. It's like one of those things where I don't have a, good, a, a great comparison, but like both my wife and I work. Right. And we both have like health plans to choose from. And we're trying to figure out like which one's the best. And we're trying to decide like which one is it the one that makes more money that we should take the chunk out of or, or the one that makes less money? Like which one do we do? And we they couldn't make that kind of decision. And the point was we asked our accountant, what gives us the most money? Like what, what, how do we have the most take home at the end of the day? And that's how we made our decision. That's what this reminds me of. And I know that was a terrible analogy by me. But the point is, how do I remake the, which one my, did you go with? We actually, actually stayed with mine. Because wow. I, I mean, I don't know any better. You're a big silly. Well, I couldn't figure. Well, I'm not really. I'm I'm a medium silly. But like, the the whole point was, what is what is our best way to maximize in this capacity? And then we moved on to to whatever the next thing was. And I think that's what the national should be doing here. So I, I was encouraged to hear that. It's the type of thing where. If it's you know if you get two unbelievable packages and everyone's gone as far as they can go and then it's a tiebreaker, okay, I guess I could see it. But if if it hinders in any way which you get back in return, then no, thank you. Uh, yeah, I I just I'll make it real simple. You're trading Juan Soto, which you probably should never do because he's that good, and you're you're doing it because you don't have much of a choice because your back is now against the wall, and it's either you do this and you reset the whole thing. Or you allow him to continue to play, and you're bad for a really, really long time because your system is so terrible. And it doesn't seem like he's going to resign. If you're going to trade him, it needs to be for the greatest compensatory package that has ever existed. It needs to be for the Herschel Walker deal in baseball. It needs to be for quantity and quality. I need five really good baseball players back at the double A or higher level or, you know, a blue chipper who looks the part in a ball could be the the last guy in the deal. But this is not a bunch of guesswork in the low minors. This is not a bunch of guys. This staff has to develop and groom and coach up. I want good major league or close to major league ready talent back, not offloading deals, not having you pick up money. I'm trading one of the great assets in the history of the game. 
and unequivocally the greatest asset to be traded since Babe Ruth. That's what we're talking about here. So screw getting out of a contract. And on Corbin, I would just say we just saw David Price pitch making $30-plus million a year as part of a $217 million deal for the Dodgers out of the bullpen against the Nationals. They're paying him close to $40 million to do that. There is a precedent for teams taking on bad contracts and moving guys out of the rotation who can't really do it anymore and into the pen, and that's what it should be for Corbin next year and the year after. If he's here, he should be in the pen one and two innings at a time. Maybe he's better that way. Probably won't be. But if he's bad, then at least he's bad for fewer innings which is addition by subtraction, frankly. And as you said, you're not winning a title next year. You're not competing for the playoffs realistically. Even if you hit a home run on all the players that come back and then you spend a little bit in free agency, you're taking a big step toward competing next year if all those things happen, but you're not in it to win it. So pay the guy. Who cares? And if you want to dump him before the final year of the deal or something, then so be it. But... I think you can absolutely just eat that for the next couple of years while you are preparing to be really good. What will be kind of the third year from now with all the players you're getting back if you trade Soto? Or if you don't at that point, just because even though Soto is walking, theoretically your new owner will be able to go out and make some splash moves in free agency with some other players. Uh, there has been so much Soto talk, and there should be, just people correctly doing what they should be doing, including us, that we haven't talked enough about other players that could get traded. I mean, how under-talked about is Josh Bell right now? I know, right? He's probably the best bat on the market, not named Juan Soto. So the Nats kind of have the two best hitters, maybe, at this trade deadline. I don't know what what Josh Bell's going to get back. It's interesting. So the first kind of splash move that was made was Wednesday night. The Yankees acquired Andrew Benintendi from the Royals, who had three or four suitors. I think it would have been more, but he's unvaccinated. So if you have to go to Toronto in the playoffs, that could be an issue. Some reporting says that he told the Yankees to get vaccinated. He'd do it for a better team. He just didn't want to do it for a bad team. Which is fascinating <laughs> to me, by the way. I'm paraphrasing, but, I mean, that's quite literally what's happening. Uh, so that's weird. But anyway, uh, I don't care about his vaccination status. I care about the baseball player he is, and he's going to help the Yankees. But they gave up three minor league arms, two guys that are right around 20th in the system, according to MLB Pipeline. And What I thought was it was like a quantity over quality deal. You, you you traded for Andrew Benintendi, and you didn't give up a single guy in the top 18 in your system. Mm-hmm. But you got 19, 21, and a third arm, and, and all three of the guys have pretty good numbers at some point this year, last year, in the low levels of the minors and some high strikeout rates and good fastballs and decent stuff. So you could do that with Josh Bell. Like You could trade him for three or, or so guys that are mid-level or worse prospects, or you could try to get like one pretty good one. You know, maybe you could get like the the eighth or sixth guy in in a decent system or something like that. Uh, what would you prefer to go quality and try to get one player that might be good, or quantity and with this barren system just try to flood it with talent like they did last year when they brought in a lot of you know minor leaguers who aren't probably going to end up being great major leaguers, but could help you in, in developing guys. Yeah, it's a lot of Donovan Casey in those returns last year. I'm more for the let me take my my moonshot with one high end guy, but that's just my philosophy in general. I think you start adding those guys up. I, I think that, you know, the high tide raises all the boats. But just to give you an idea, I mean, I, I picked one side at random, MLB Trade Rumors. Andrew Benintendi was the number two ranked guy available in the market, and Josh Bell was number three, right? Just to, just to let you know, I mean, he's ahead of, you know, uh, Luis Castillo of the Reds and 
you know, some of the other guys that might be marquee, Frankie Montas, I think relief pitcher with the Athletics was the other guy in the five. You're sort of limiting it to contenders, though, instead of the, you know, franchise type building guys um, for, you know, for teams that aren't particularly good at this point that would want Josh Bell services. So I don't think you're going to get a great haul back, to be honest with you, but it just makes sense to, to try to get something. But yeah, I'm more of a shoot the moon kind of guy and, and take one shot at the dartboard instead of saying, let's get. You know, seven, you know, not seven, that's obviously not realistic. Let's get four guys that are basically 4A players. Like, I'm not interested in finding a few more Andrew Stevensons. I'm going to see if there's one guy that that I think has enough upside, and I'll take a shot at it. If it doesn't work, so be it. So it's interesting. I think I'm more with you in the give me one quality guy over, like, three quantity guys for Bell. Having said that, I kind of liked what the the Yankees got back, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, maybe I just like those guys a little bit more than some. But, you know, when you're putting up big-time strikeout numbers, you throw hard, you got two pitches and a ball. I mean, there is a path to you becoming pretty good. And those lottery tickets a lot of times work out. I mean, a guy like Tanner Roark, as an example, was not a prospect really right. in the yeah. system. I mean, that, that was just a move where Rizzo and his scouts, who are really good at what they do, evaluated him and said, this guy's better than people think. Let, let's get him in this deal, too. And so you've seen that work a lot as well. I guess there's no right way to do it, but I, I would like ideally for if they could. Get back one. Let's say Juan Soto doesn't get traded. I'd like them to get back one of the best prospects who's moved at this deadline for Bell because he's one of the best players being traded. And I understand that a Castillo is a, is a higher impact guy. Uh, what's his contract status? Is he a rental or does he have one and a half left? Luis Castillo from the Reds. Do you know? look that up. Yeah. I mean, if, if he's a rental, then he shouldn't get you a whole lot more than Bell, right? If you got one and a half years in controllability, then obviously that changes the game a little bit. One guy I have heard that's on the block, and I'm sure you've seen this, is Tarek Skubal from the Tigers, who's got a lot of He's controllability stuff for days. left and, and big-time stuff. Like, if he actually gets traded, they would do really well in that. I don't know why they would trade him, because he's good and you control him and he's going to be good for a while, and I can't imagine you're that far away. But uh, But his name keeps coming up. I feel like that would be a really good return. Um, but it doesn't matter about Castillo, I guess, at the end of the day. All right, so let's go in order with guys we're most sure get traded. So I'm putting Bell number one on my list. Who? How about you? Bell is the one that makes the most sense, so I'll go number one for him as well. All right, number two. I'll say— I, I, I don't have any confidence here. Now my voice is going to start to go up at the end? I'm going to say Kyle Finnegan. He's controllable, though. For a couple years, he I mean, is. I, mean and that's I, why I certainly he's would. Valuable. I would do it. I would do it right away. Yeah, but I don't know. I I wonder if they think maybe there's some stability to be had there. I think he's good, and I think teams will like him, and he's got stuff and controllability, and you could get something for him. I'm not not say, something great, but something. I'm gonna say Carl Edwards Jr. Okay. Uh, yeah, I definitely think he'll get traded. I mean, his return compared Minimal. to a Finnegan return would would be. You know, next to nothing. Uh, but, yeah, I, we're just talking about who's going to get traded. Obviously, Soto we've talked about is somewhere on this list around 50%. What about some other names we don't talk about? Is is there a surprise? You know, last year, if you would have told me that John Lester was getting dealt, I'd have bet you a million dollars no one was taking him on. And lo and behold, they got a guy back who's played a lot in Lane Thomas for him, which is still insane. But I'm thinking names like... You know, Cesar Hernandez, I think, has the fewest errors for an everyday second baseman in baseball and, you know, isn't a particularly great player, but at one point in time in the first half this year was pretty routinely hitting up around 280 and without power. Now he's dropped to about 240 or so. Um, Michael Franco has got a little bit of pop off the bench if you're looking for it. Uh, Victor Robles is a defense first guy who's had a good last week, who's stolen a couple bases. 
uh, recently and hadn't been thrown out all year with double-digit steals. Um, we haven't talked about Nelson Cruz. I was, gonna, uh, I was just about to say that. We have not even mentioned him. I'm hoping that somebody, an, an opposing team or another set of scouts, goes, there's one little uh, pitch or there's one little thing in his swing. That's why he's hitting constantly weak ground balls to the left side in like 90% of his at-bats, numbers approximate. We'll grab him. We'll fix it. He'll start hitting the ball in the air again and hit a bunch of homers. Because that has been a disaster, quite frankly. Yeah, it has. I mean, it just it really hasn't worked out. I get why they did it. I'm not upset about it. A one year rental of a you know a, a few million bucks here or there in the hopes that How he gets bad traded. Is that that we forget about him the week of the trade deadline. In the, in the hopes that he gets traded for a prospect or two. That was a very reasonable thing. That's the Matt Caps playbook all over again. He hasn't homered in like 125 at bats. It's been awful, Grant. He, uh, he had I mean, a day off them. to end the Dodgers series, like legit, right before the deadline. They're like, yeah, you need a day. It's not going well for you. I'm going to change it, though, because, I, I mean, you got to trade him for whatever you can get. If it's a bag of baseballs, that's fine. So I would go Bell 1, Cruz 2, and then I would go with the Finnegan, Edwards Jr., Soto tier. Uh, but where's where's your surprise? Give me a guy we're not talking about that gets traded. You said Michael Franco, and that was going to be my surprise guy. Again, I there's not much there. Uh, I think maybe somebody you might want a, a, a good – a good, maybe a good A-B against a lefty, something like that. May see something there as veteran presence and such. Doesn't blow the skirt up, not particularly good defensively, hasn't done much on offense. A nice early start to the season, by the way, where he was towards the top uh, of the roster and RBIs and, and hitting the ball hard here and there, but of course has regressed to what he is, which is a guy that probably shouldn't be a starter on a major league roster at this point. So that was going to be my little surprise guy that might get worked into a deal. I'll say... I need a deep cut, right? I would, need to would, go. I mean, would Robles count as a surprise? Well, maybe. I mean, I th- I th- I would trade him if I could, and I, I don't know why a team wouldn't be interested in him. Honestly, as an extra outfielder, like we're down on him because we wanted him to be a franchise building block center fielder. Good. But if you need speed and defense, I don't know why you wouldn't bring him in. I'll just say one of the relievers. Like I'll go Steve Ciszek. You know, relievers get dealt all the time where you, you, you need a guy because you want to maybe even just give less innings to the guys you care about the rest of the way and, and spell them. So I'll just say maybe Steve Ciszek gets moved. Eric uh, Fetty, possible deep cut? That's a deep that's cut a deep for cut, sure. I mean, right? he absolutely would make sense because, again, controllability, okay results, fifth starter on a good team. Maybe there's value there to someone to just have a starting pitcher semi on the cheap. I could see it for sure. Uh, the question is, you know, do they have enough arms to feel like they could get rid of that organizational depth where, like Corbin, at least he's a guy that pitches every fifth day you don't have to worry a whole lot about. Uh, speaking of traits, we told you we would talk to J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. Uh, he covers the game at the minor league level, and nobody knows more about prospects than him. Uh, we wanted to get a breakdown from him on some of the packages that could be coming back to the Nats. So let's talk to J.J. Cooper, the editor and the writer at BA, right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Bang, zoom. JJ, thank you for joining us. I guess let's start before we get your breakdown on these prospects in detail. Do you think Soto gets dealt? And would you deal Soto if you were the Nationals? Here's the best way I can put it, which is kind of an answer to your question, I think. The Nationals, I think, have to approach this when they talk to teams. They say, we're going to listen to all offers. We're going to see what the best offer out there is. But, and I think this is important both from a reality but also from a negotiating standpoint, is but you tell teams that part of this is they have to clear a bar. It's not the best offer gets Soto. It's the best offer that clears the bar of what we expect before we'll even trade Soto because it is not the worst thing in the world for the Nationals to just have one of the best players in baseball going into the offseason. That's okay. That's not a, uh, you know, that's not a, a giant loss. It's not something where there should be any scenario where, where the Nationals feel like they have to trade Juan Soto. It should be they will trade Juan Soto if they get a package that they feel is sufficient. Who can make the best offer to, uh, to, to acquire Juan Soto? I mean, well, so so this is where this gets tricky, right? Because some of the teams that you could say can just aren't going to be in the one Soto sweepstakes, right? Because you are talking about even if you're saying you're not looking at like locking him up long term, Juan Soto is going to have a very significant contract in the next couple of years. Obviously, that means that you think about big market teams most predominantly. The Dodgers have, as they seemingly always do, the prospect capital. I would say the Cardinals have the prospect capital. I would say, and when I say prospect, the young talent capital, I should say, because you could do this from players who are you know, purely just in the minors or with a mixture of players who are early in their major league careers. But those, I think you could get to it, depending on what teams are willing to do. I could say the Mariners, the Blue Jays. I could find other teams who you could put together the right package, but then the question becomes, does it make sense for those teams? Now, to take the extreme example, if, if, if the Mariners were willing to trade, say, George Kirby in a trade, well, that's not a prospect anymore, but that's a really good young big league pitcher. But I don't know if the Mariners would do that because if they're trying to win, you're both helping yourself because you just added Juan Soto, but you're hurting yourself because you took away one of your best young starting pitchers. So there are a lot of scenarios like that where this gets really broad as far as the number of teams who could be involved. But at the same time, it's hard in some cases to see, do those trades make sense for those teams? J.J. Cooper, editor-in-chief, writer and uh, guru when it comes to prospects and in- inside information on the minors for uh, Baseball America joining us here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. All right, so I wanted to go through some of the teams and the packages because mm-hmm. I-, I think, you know, in general, people in D.C., that maybe they follow the Nat system, right, if they're super plugged in. For the most part, people aren't diving deep into everybody's system. So these are just names to them. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about the Dodgers. I mean, throw some Mm -hmm. of the names or a potential package out there, and then maybe we could go through and get some breakdowns on some of these guys and what it would look like. So let's start with, okay, and I think this is kind of similar to what we saw with the last time that these two teams got together, but 
I think if you're talking about the Dodgers, is a Gavin Lux involved in it? Which may be a player that some uh, you know some national fans already have some understanding of because he's a big leaguer. So Gavin Lux is a young big league player. Now then you get to Bobby Miller, who's probably is the Dodgers' best pitching prospect in the minors, who's a good, very good pitching prospect. Um, Gavin Stone, another pitching prospect who. Uh, who's really having a great year, is leading the minors in ERA right now, throws really hard. Then you've got guys like Miguel Vargas and Michael Bush, who are both bat-first infielders. Ryan Pepio, who's in the minors right, been up and down a little bit, minors, majors, minors, majors, but throws close, you know, throws high 90s and has one of the best change-ups in the minors. I don't, you, I don't throw Diego Cartaya in there. You could. He's the Dodgers' number one prospect, but he's a catcher. <laughs> now, my head, it, it seems possible, I guess, but my head might explode just trying to fathom the idea of making two blockbuster trades with the Nationals and the Dodgers in multiple years and inquiring the cornerstone player being a, a, a catching prospect in both of those situations. Although I think Cartaya does have a chance to be better than Cabert Ruiz. So that'd be an example for that. But again, it's also mix and match. Like, okay, I, I don't know. Do the Nationals want purely prospects or do they want the guys like a Gavin Lux who you have many years of, of, of you know, being under team control, but is much more plug and play where you say, okay, he immediately becomes one of really, he becomes one of the, if you're trading away Josh Bell, he immediately becomes one of the better players on that team. So, and the, here, so here's the other question I'll ask you guys to kind of tie in with this is, I mean, I, I guess we're looking at this for like 2026 for the nationals, because the other thing that's depressing about trading Juan Soto when he still has multiple years of control left is you're saying we don't think that we're going to be good enough at any point in the remainder of Juan Soto's time that he would be in D.C. to make it worth keeping him. Well, are you, J.J.? Because I make the argument. Look, and I'm a Soto mark, right? I love this guy. One of the greatest players I'll ever see in my lifetime. I really believe that when it's all said and done. But I make the argument you're closer to winning and you're better off in terms of being able to compete faster if you trade him. And I think that's part of it. You know this better than I do. Their system is awful. I mean, they've got a couple of guys who are close in Cavalli and Henry if they stay healthy. And with Henry, I doubt that. Uh, but who's really, really good. And we'll see what happens with House, who's in low A and hurt. And we'll see what happens with Elijah Green, who's boomer bust. But, I mean, it's it's a really, really tough road to see them getting a whole lot of help from the minors. If you make this deal, and we'll get to the Cardinals in a second, but just mm-hmm. sticking with what you just said with the Dodgers. I mean, you're talking about... Maybe by the end of next year, like four guys in the big leagues, and none of them are going to be Juan Soto, but the sum of all of them from a war standpoint eventually might exceed that. You get a new owner, you get that package of big league ready guys, and he spends a little money, you're back into the upper 80s pretty quickly, maybe. Okay. And this is where I'll make the counter argument. The reason that I can pretty much tell you right now that when it's all said and done, the Nationals will almost assuredly lose the Juan Soto trade is because of one very difficult aspect of this. We had Kyle Glazer for us, went back and looked at the last 17 trades uh, over the last like 25 years where a team traded a player who was a top three in the MVP voting in the two years before he was uh, traded. And every, almost without fail, you pretty much, the team who traded away 
the great player loses the trade. And I say loses, like the players they got back don't come close to matching that production. And the reason is, is that, so let's say they, it, that could help the Nationals get from 60 to 75 wins easier. But the thing that is tricky about this is, is let me just use an example, like because the, the Nationals are almost surely going to trade Josh Bell. Josh Bell is a very good player. And he's one they absolutely should trade. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. They'll probably get a nice package back for him at prospects. But, okay, so in the offseason, let's say the Nationals are having their meetings, and they say, okay, we've lost Josh Bell's production. How are we going to replace Josh Bell? And I can right now probably rattle off four or five scenarios for ways that you could find someone who would be – you hope equivalent or similar in production to what you got from Josh Bell. And it may depend on spending money in free agency. It may be swinging a trade for a guy who's blocked by someone else, or it may be, you know, there's a lot, there's a variety of ways to do that. Right. Okay. Now let's say Juan Soto is gone. How do we find someone to replace Juan Soto? And the answer, which we both know is you can't because, There are no ability. There's players like Juan Soto aren't available. <laughs> They're not. You can't just go out and get one of those, or almost without fail. I mean, you you could say, well, maybe Carlos Correa is back on the market, and we think he's a similar type production, you know, or whatever. But the point being, it's much easier. The players, if they get four players back, yes, that will help them because the Nationals, the Nationals right now have. Almost nothing committed for next year. They have Strasburg, they have Corbin, and right now they have Soto, and then they have guys in arbitration. But that's like the extent of it, right? They don't have a lot of money committed for next year as far as established big leagues players, and they have a bad farm system. But it is way easier to find someone who can give you two, three, even three and a half or four war at a position than it is find someone who's going to give you five, six, seven. Like, that's the that's the challenge they're going to face is that, yes, it'll get them to be better than they are now because they have some really glaring holes, but it still won't get you back to that, how you how they won a World Series, which is they had stars who produced. You've got to find stars at some point, and that's what they're trading away in one photo, obviously. J.J. Cooper, Baseball America with us here on Bust and Lose Baseball. All right, let's rate the return they could get from the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay, well, the thing about the Cardinals, again, when we go back to do you want it to be a mixture of young big leaguers and or um, just purely minor leaguers, Dylan Carlson, the outfielder for the Cardinals, or uh, Nolan Gorman, who came out this year for the Cardinals, Matthew Libertor, who's pitching, you know, has pitched some in the, in the majors for them this year, are all examples of guys who have some big league experience. Then you have Jordan Walker, who's one of the best prospects in baseball right now. He is a very rare combination of hitting ability and physicality uh, at a very young age. He's a third baseman, which, hey, if you're trading with the Cardinals, one thing about Jordan Walker being a third baseman, he can play other positions, but they're, they're set at third base. So Walker would probably be the, could be a cornerstone of it. They also have some other interesting guys. Uh, Mason Wynn, who you might have seen if you're following uh, you know, prospects at all. The Futures game, he showed off the best infield arm in baseball, period. He threw over 100 miles an hour across the, the diamond. He's made improvements at the plate. 
They've got some pitchers, young pitchers, in addition to a Libertor, a guy like Gordon Grosseffo, Michael McGreevy, guys like that. Tink Hens is really interesting. He's a long ways away. He's in uh, low A, but this is a guy who, who has a really good fastball. There's a lot of mix-and-match parts. The other thing I'd say with all these, though, and this was true with the Scherzer-Trey Turner trade, I just noticed that every time that one of these, you know, that they, we have these blockbuster deals at the deadline, they always kind of end up being to me. I look at it and go, "Is that all it was?" And I, I, so I rattle off all those names, and maybe this will be the exception. Maybe it will be one where a team gives up their farm system for Juan Soto. But I just know that when I've seen star players traded at the deadline in the past. I usually look at those trades and say, huh, okay, they gave something up, but I'm surprised they didn't have to give up more. And that's something I'm going to be interested about this trade as well, because going back to that, the, the Scherzer-Turner trade, hey, they got good we, – we, the Nationals, you know, fans have seen. Caber Ruiz is the, the team's catcher. Josiah Gray's been one of the team's better starting pitchers this year. However <laughs> – Neither of those guys probably has almost any likelihood of being as good as the guys that they gave up. And that's probably going to be true multiple cases in this trade as well. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so we've done Dodgers and Cardinals. I mean, what do you make of like I don't I don't like the Mets system as it is enough to even get this thing done, let alone the fact that you'd be trading him in the division. You can give me a thought on that. Yeah. And then as far as the Yankees, I, I can't imagine. Ooh, I mean, could there. you imagine that? Could you imagine watching Juan Soto come show up? I know they're going to change the schedule, but and beat you regularly. Yeah, that, I totally can because yeah. I see it with Bryce Harper in the Phillies, and I see it with Scherzer in the Mets. It's just a hoot, I mean, JJ. What I've been when that doing. happens, it's what I've been doing for three years here. <laughs> and it'd be worse because I like Soto more than all of them. Uh, it'd be awful. Plus, though, I'm just look. I like Ramirez. I like a couple of guys in that system we've talked about on my baseball show on on Sirius XM with you a lot. But I don't love enough of the guys no. that they would put into that deal. What about the Yanks? I keep hearing Glaber Torres his name. I wouldn't really want him because I got to pay him right away. I'd rather have what, Oswald Peraza. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have like Peraza and. Um, and Volpe, and have one at short, one at second. I don't know what would a package look like with the Yankees. Well, the thing about that is, is like that package right there. Okay, they can't compete with what we just talked about with the Dodgers or the Cardinals. If giant flashing if here, if every team's like you, just tell us what do you want from our system. You know, I I can't imagine. It's really hard for me to imagine any team going into this and saying no these prospects are off limits to you in a one Soto deal. I, it, it's hard for me to fathom that because there's not a prospect in baseball right now in the minors, maybe short of Jackson Churio, who I would say has a chance to be Juan Soto down the, a Juan Soto type down the road because Juan Soto is literally one of the best young hitters of my lifetime, period. Like the production he's had so far is something where – there are not many players, and I'm not young. There are not many players who have played through, you know, have the first five years of their career like Juan Soto's in a very, very long time. So, uh, you know, you look at the Yankees. They, I'm not saying they can't make a deal for this. And again, they may provide even the best offer. But 
a Glaber Torres doesn't make sense because you're acquiring someone who has a whole lot of experience and is not that many years from free agency in return for a guy who you're trading because he's not that far from free agency. That seems backwards to me because I think Glaber Torres is probably going to hit free agency before a Nationals team that is competitive again. So, and, but I, I don't think that the Yankees have the prospect talent at the minor league level to give you that cornerstone. Volpe is the one, obviously. I would rather have Jordan Walker than Anthony Volpe right now as a cornerstone, but maybe the maybe they view it a little differently. They're they're not a team that I, I'm not saying Juan Soto makes anyone better, but they don't need Juan Soto right now, right? Like that's the thing I also look at is is that I'm they have an out now now that they've added Benintendi, who I think fits them pretty well, if everyone's healthy, they're pretty set. <laughs> And I, with that, I, I, it seems like it would be more productive for the Yankees also to, to go look to improve their team in other ways. But he is Juan Soto, and it is the Yankees, although that just feels like a move that is much more of the George Steinbrenner-led Yankees than it is the current regime. JJ, running out of time here. Ultimately, call your shot. What do you think happens? How does this go down? And does it go down this weekend or, or before Tuesday's deadline? That's the part where I look. I, I, I mean, I'm just throwing a dart. It's because I have no inside insight on that. But I do think that there's a chance that Juan Soto is still a uh, a national on August 3rd. I, I'll put it that way. That's the thing that I feel. I I think there should be a chance of that because the thing that is the worst scenario here, if I'm a Nationals fan, is not that they fail to trade Juan Soto. It's that they trade Juan Soto for a package of prospects, none of whom have all-star potential, who really are going to be all-stars down the road. Like, volume and, and being able to plug holes doesn't do you nearly what... It, it's not a bad thing to say, hey, we know our team's not very good, but by the way, come watch one of the best players in baseball every day next year in 2023. Yeah, if you trade him, you got to get it right. There's just no doubt about that. Hey, JJ. And you're probably going to get it wrong. You're pro- <laughs> that's the other thing I'll say, though, is, is you're probably not going to get it right because no one who's traded a player, almost almost no one who's traded a player of this caliber ever gets a return that they are happy with. It's well said. I mean, you're going off a historical context here. You know, the flip side, I guess, because we've been weighing this for weeks, is what you're saying is a thousand percent correct. If he leaves no matter what in two and a half years, which is what I'm working back from, that he is going to be a free agent in two and a half years, are you better off with two and a half more years of Soto? Or even if you quote unquote get it wrong, you know, Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, Mason Wynn, and and Tink Hentz, you know, and, and I think I would still go B over A. Even if I as much as I love Soto, just because it you're you're talking about two and a half years and he's gone, or those guys for their next seven years well, potentially. But here's the tweak I would make. Just because you keep one soto at the deadline now doesn't mean that you don't say in the offseason, okay, let's start over. But if you're going to trade like him in the offseason, why not trade him now? What, what are two months on a bad team? If you don't get the you? right offer. If you don't get the right offer. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I'm not you know, just trading that, him to trade him. There's yeah. no doubt. I get right. you there. Yeah, I'm saying that I, to me, the key thing to me is, is they should have in their line, this is the line that it has to clear. And if it doesn't, 
you are much better off saying we're going to walk away for now, not saying forever, but we're walking away for now because when I look back at it, one of the best trades to happen, again, go back to uh, look at the White Sox trade, you know, uh, the, the Adam Eaton trade. Yep. When was that done? It was done trade at the winter meetings. I mean, uh, winter meetings, rather. Winter meetings did a lot better than a trade deadline. Got a lot of time to think it over. Got a lot of time to analyze it. Winter meetings in D.C., by the way. It was over at Gaylord. Right. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, J.J., I mean, this you, is buddy. why we wanted to get you on. It's uh, it's food for thought, and, I mean, we're doing this all day, every day in D.C. at this point, as you can imagine. Uh, it's unbelievable insight and, and helpful on the prospects as well. We appreciate you. No problem. See you later. I love J.J. Cooper, man. He knows what he's talking about, and he knows prospects better than anyone. A little cold water on the idea that you got to do it now because, as he said, and we've talked about this, the precedent is that you look at the Miguel Cabrera deal and they got like Cameron Mabin back and those pieces, Andrew Miller, I think. It's never been after you trade a guy like that that you go, oh, my God, we got four all-stars back. That's not what's going to happen, but a couple of them could pan out. And your point, I think I thought you made at the end, is still the most salient point to me, which is if you work back from he is not going to be here, therefore you maximize what he is. The maximum to me, again, is he resigns. I'd love to have Juan Soto for the next you know, 15, 16, 17 years. I want him to go into the Hall of Fame as a national. I want him to be the guy that my uh, kids have jerseys of and the whole nine yards. I want to go to Nats Park and see Juan Soto play baseball. If you work back from that's not possible, then you do the best you can. And to me, the best you can is to trade him. Presumably, this is now the time for the best offer. But his winter meetings point, I thought, was a good one. But you would think that a team that's in contention would just get all the steamies up for him and say, we have three pennant races and three Octobers potentially. With this guy, what an unbelievable asset. It makes sense for us to pull the trigger right now. All right, a couple of things from the minors really fast on the way out. Cade Cavalli back after a hiatus. Remember, he had not pitched in two weeks after leaving with a blister. He threw for the first time on Wednesday night in Rochester, and he threw five shutout innings at AAA. Five innings, three hits, three walks, three strikeouts. Got a strikeout in his final inning at 97 miles an hour. He is not allowed to run in three starts this month, which is over 15 innings of work. So since the Nationals decided to put Anibal Sanchez in the rotation over Cade Cavalli, uh, he has still not given up a run, which is interesting to me. Uh, he has made 33 starts above A-ball and 22 AAA starts dating back to last year. And, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of over having to uh, listen to him on minorleaguebaseball.com. But uh, if there's a spot in the rotation next week, maybe the Nats can ask Levon Hernandez if he's available. Let's just go all in on the troll job. Stay, stay up there. Stay yeah. in Rochester. Who would the piss whole you off the most? I mean, Anibal <laughs> Sanchez was a great answer. They like Rizzo got me on that one, uh, and then the staff did a good job. Uh, Paulo Espino every five days is hilarious. I wouldn't laugh that hard if I went to see Chappelle uh, do a, a set at Red Rocks. Uh, so next, let's uh, you know, some, let's say Fetty can't make a couple starts. He's on the COVID IL or something. Uh, why not call up like um, I'm thinking maybe like John Patterson, Tim Redding, Matt that, Chico could make Esteban a start. Why is I got arrested? But, uh, who else? That's a tough one. My college teammate Mike O'Connor is Mike in O'Connor. the area. Yeah. His, his arm is loose. Realistically, though, like the thing that that might actually happen that would piss me off would be like um, anyone but Kate Cavalli for me. I'm trying to think of like answer. a veteran from three years ago. Maybe like Edwin Jackson, who's the coolest guy ever. I saw him at the All-Star break. He's in great shape. Uh, Okay. 
Other minor league notes. Double-A starter Alex Troop threw well on Wednesday. Six and two-third innings, two runs, three walks, four strikeouts. He's 26, went to Michigan State. Ninth-round pick in 2017. This year, good numbers, six and two with a 3-4-5. Got 82 strikeouts in 72 innings. Even though he was in double-A last year, he started the year in A-plus ball, which I didn't understand. Uh, but he always has puts up solid numbers in the minor leagues. So not a big-time prospect. I don't even think he's ranked in the top 30 according to Pipeline. But a guy to look out for. And double-A catcher Israel Pineda, home runs in two straight days, three games uh, in the last five he's homered in. He's hit four homers in his last nine games. He's 22. He's got a good arm, uh, High throws out a high percentage of runners, probably a backup catcher type, but uh, 24th in the system. He's been hitting the ball pretty well. So just a little uh, dive into the minors for you on the way out. If something happens, deadline-wise, we will do an emergency pod as quick as we can for you. Busting loose baseball. Always enjoy having you guys listen. Danny, any final thoughts? I look forward to Jeremy Hellickson making a start next week. That's the one. Thank you. Nailed it. Jeremy Hellickson is perfect. Oh, all right. Boston lose baseball. So long for now.